Hello, good evening, and welcome to The Game Is About Glory. I'm your host, Steph, and joining me tonight are Ram and the returning Milo. Hello, chaps. Oh, yeah. Hello, Steph. Very good. How was the old, uh, how was the old spinning in Europe? How did it go? <laughs> I, well, it was so much spinning. I was going to see family in the Czech Republic, and I had a lovely time, thanks. Yeah, that's euphemistic. Never you mind. He's <laughs> keeping all his stories for the autobiography that will eventually arrive. This week is all about Spurs players on international duty coming home injury-free and not too knackered. Oh, I suppose it might also be about a few nations booking their passage to the World Cup nobody should really be participating in this winter in Qatar. I'll never get used to the words World Cup this winter. Madness. But anyway, that being the case, we decided that with trotting being the thing this past week, why not take a moment to go back to another of our special pod topics for round two of What Happened Next, where we each choose a Spurs player who is bristling with promise and potential one moment and out the door in cloaked invisibility smoke the next. Our subjects will be Kevin Prince-Boateng, Reto Ziegler and Stephen Corker. Trust me, these are really intriguing stories. But before we get to this week's intro question, we actually have a little bit of unfinished business from last week. I suggested that Milo would make his intro as a professional wrestler to a track by The Fall, having corrected my initial thought that it might be The Smiths, because I thought Milo would really get angry about that. <laughs> so anyway, Milo, which track by The Fall would it be, if indeed it would be The Fall? Um well, I mean, you're right about the Smiths. I, I love the Smiths, but Morris is a cunt and I can't listen to them anymore because of that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Isn't that exact, kind of word for word? Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what you said last week. Said. <laughs> I, so I, I don't think I probably would have chosen the fall, but as you suggested them, I think it's an excellent choice. And I, I also I also think kind of I, I liked um, hearing about kind of your choices, but I think my associations with wrestling are more kind of Wigan and Berry than Los Angeles and, and Miami. And Mick McManus. Yeah, absolutely. So, whatever, so, yeah. And, and I think that the fool are a lot more an old land, uh, old lady handbagging uh, a fat middle-aged man than and all the rest. So I, I think it all fits. I'm so glad you said handbagging. <laughs> so, so, so my, my, full, my full entrance track would be Totally Wired um which is well it's a fantastic track i love it and uh, and i think would work well as an intro track i also have to say i love your take on retro wrestling it is very good (laughs) and uh if i could uh, sign up for a bout in wigan or las vegas i'm going wigan all the way baby there's no (laughs) doubt i'm with your way fat geezers and old ladies in handbags i love it (laughs) very good well i'm glad we could settle that um, and uh, we should get on to with the business uh, of our intro question this week. Um, and I know that you would now like to know this week, uh, Milo, that with no football to watch this week and a long plane journey uh, ahead of me tomorrow, please, can you recommend that, that last bit? Sorry, let me say it again. <laughs> with no football to watch this week, please, can you, us, recommend a book, album, film, TV program or podcast that we've enjoyed recently? So, Essentially, I'm, I'm taking this question to be more about we're offering the listeners something for their week, their Spursless week, as opposed yeah, I, to, you know. Anything. I, was, so, I, was, I was kind of thinking off. of something to fill your plane journey tomorrow, Steph. That's, that was the angle I looked at with this. So, <laughs> Very uh, good. But, good. But basically, good. I'm trying to turn this pod into the culture show while there's no football to talk about. <laughs> and um, I'm going to be Paul Morley. I'm going to be Paul Morley. And... Um, <laughs> 
Uh, you can be Jermaine Greer, Steph. And, That's better than um, being Julie Birchall. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be Julie Birchall. Sorry, Julie. Um, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Well, that brilliant. makes Rem Tony Parsons, doesn't it? Which is awful. <laughs> Poor oh, man. Dear. Oh, wow. Um, brilliant, writer, though, Ju- brilliant writer, though, Julie Birchall, uh, wasn't it? Uh, she's very much in the Morrissey camp on this, I'm afraid, I think. Um, yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, yeah, anyway, yeah, that's- so basically recommend recommend something you've you've read, watched, or listened to recently that you really liked. So why don't you kick it off? I've got a long list. Well, it's um, my plane journey, so start filling it, mate. So a, cu- <laughs> a couple of films that I've watched this week. I watched Riders of Justice earlier on this week, which is a Danish mm. um, kind of revenge dark comedy thriller, uh, which mm. I really, really liked. Um, stars Mads Mikkelsen. And I thought, I, I went into it knowing a little bit about it, but not a huge amount. Um, I feared it was going to be a kind of sub-John Wick type, thing it's a lot more than that it's funny it's dark it is violent um but it's also really poignant and makes you think and uh there are several twists in it that i didn't see coming and they caught me and at the end of it it yeah it it, it's great it's really really good i highly recommend it and then last night i watched boiling point which is a british film that was released earlier on this year it's a single shot um film set in a restaurant on the busiest night of the year with everything's falling apart for the head to chef. watch it for a long time yeah stephen graham starring in it it's absolutely superb the it, mighty stephen the mighty stephen graham really good it's really good and uh, you, the, just the way the camera pans off to all of the tables and there's lots of little sub stories that are just gently interwoven into it and it's just the pressure builds and yeah at the end of it i kind of you know i mean having worked in hospitality before i recognize a lot of it <laughs> And uh, yeah, at the end of it, you need to lie down. It, it's a tense ride, but it's it's really really clever film. It's not like anything else I've ever seen before. It's almost like a, a theatre piece, almost rather than a film. It's great, excellent because it's on my it's been on my list. I just haven't got around with recent uh, things going on to, to watching it. It's just coming to Netflix in the UK this week. It's great, and I will be in a place where I can lie down afterwards. So uh, so thank you very much. My my flight is already semi occupied. Ram, can you uh, f- can you fill the rest of this uh, of this journey for me? I'll try. I've got a series, a television series, a book and uh, a band for you. So uh, the television series isn't a new one, but um, I've recently started rewatching Peep Show with Mm. my partner ever from season one um, because she's never seen it before. And I had some worries due to some other series I've watched with her where the comedy doesn't hold up anymore. It's dated or whatever. Still as relevant as genius as ever just classic just incredible television watching and the 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 characters the way they're formed i mean ever's um ever's not a native english speaker she's from poland but she she understands the humor and she just she has been in bits watching it and i've been in i've been enjoying that with her and re-watching it again from my side well, so my wife loves that as well so my wife's czech yeah. and um yeah she she loves peep show as well it's one of those programs that i get to kind of half an hour before i go to bed on a friday or saturday night once a year and i think i know i'll put on peep show for half you know, to fill half an hour yeah and then i end up watching the whole thing yeah. Over the next few weeks, I'll watch the whole thing. Well, the, well that's the thing. You Because you think, oh, there's some classic episodes. But literally every episode is a classic episode. There's a there's a storyline or something in there that you're like, you know, you can't. I mean, there are classic mm. episodes, of course. But <laughs> it, it really is so consistently genius yeah. level comedy. The only, th- the only uh, thing about that first series is without the proper theme music, it, it jars a oh, bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right, my book 
is um, this is one fairly close to my heart, but it's a new release. It's by a chap called um, Ed Winters, who's actually uh, his stage name um, in inverted commas is Earthling Ed. And he's released a book called This is Vegan Propaganda. Um, and then in brackets, another lies the meat industry will tell you. Um, and this chap, Earthling Ed, he is the antithesis of what people stereotypically think of when they think of animal rights activists. And he is so effortlessly um, good at... Uh, at d- debating uh with people from uh, any from any level from from ground level you know on the streets up to uh university um college lecturing and he's he just speaks so eloquently about it and he has a very very disarming and um an incredible way of kind of coming back on any argument against uh veganism and i, I you know I, I am a vegan and i was reading it and i felt you know I, I was just like i was astounded by what i was reading despite thinking i know a fair amount about the animal rights um base uh so that's definitely something i'd recommend it's uh it's a good uh, it's a good entry level into kind of even if you're not vegan just just to find out what about things that are happening in the animal rights industry um and then lastly an artist uh one of my favorite fairly recent bands i've been into is a uh is a brilliant la hard rock band called dead sarah um and they released an album last year called ain't it tragic um the music think of like classic kings of leon but much grungier and more powerful um and they've got an incredible vocalist um emily armstrong i mean i have rush just rasping but classically you know beautiful just heavy voice so i would recommend their last album and their back catalogue and initially i got tickets for them they're coming over to play a tour here now they've they've supported and they they've done their own tours around north america they've supported some big bands but they are playing the old blue last pub down the road from me here and i got two tickets for 20 quid to watch him in a pub in in london and that just takes me back <laughs> i'm so <laughs> so happy that I've, I've paid 20 quid to go uh, for two people to go and see one of my favorite bands at the moment that is a lot of culture for my flight <laughs> i actually now just have Steph? to <laughs> i do have but not for I, well i don't have time to, to take my own recommendations but i'll pass them on for other people who may be flying i i have started <laughs> it's a bit cheesy this but it's okay I started watching a British crime drama called The Bay. Um, D.S. Lee is Lisa Armstrong's lead character, played by Morven Christie. I'm sure you are aware of this. And uh, all I will say is that I never, ever, ever will look at Morecambe in the same way again. Crikey, what a a hotbed of iniquity it it is. Um, but it is actually it's really it's it's really well written um it's hooky it's not you know it's not immensely weighty um but it, it's it's very engaging and it's very entertaining i would yeah a, a film that i have to recommend uh that i have watched again recently it's not a new film but it's from 2017 and it's called beast um i don't know if you saw it's called it stars jesse buckley and johnny flim it's a really small quite claustrophobic uh love story uh, with many twists is is all I will tell you. If you haven't seen it, um, I, I heartily recommend it. It's a really great performances, and, and Jesse Buckley is is just electric in it. I mean, electric. I mean, you you you'll end up wondering why you've never watched her films before, and you will end up watching more of what she's done. Books: Extraordinary Insects by Anne Sverdrup Thigson. Uh, it is, and I'm going to hold it up. It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful book with an iridescent beetle on mm. it. What I love about this book is it completely colloquializes the fascinating world of insects, the micro societies, 
the, um, the, the, the just what insects can do and to give you an example of her brilliant style of writing uh, and her removal of this topic from academia into something that again is colloquial and fun she actually talks about the fact that uh, so there's one insect in particular that has taste buds in its feet and she spends a paragraph telling you how this is very very useful but she then wraps it up with this wonderful sort of Scandinavian English sentence of like as useful as this would be I would not like to taste the insides of my shoes for the whole day, <laughs> which I thought was quite great. But it's a wonderful book. And if you sink into it, it just reminds you that the world is an incredible place. That sounds great. I spent about an hour with my son when I, when I was over in Czech last week. I spent about an hour with my son watching beekeeping videos on YouTube. He'd got a, oh. he got a bee, like a cuddly toy Brilliant. bee. And yeah. was talking about this and wanted to learn. Wanted to. It was asking me questions about it. And I thought, well, it's easier to. It's Incredible. So, and, and we just had this. It was really, really just really interesting it's pretty incredible isn't it yeah yeah and i was kind of des- can, can, describing kind of hive hierarchy you know the queen and the drones yeah. and uh, and the worker bees and just he's a bit of a mansplainer so what i do is i tell him something or he learns something and then he goes off and tells my wife <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was a really just enjoyable bit of time just watching kind of insects on on my computer go on so I was going to say, I think we should revisit this topic in kind of six months' time once uh, Ram Jr. Has, has start, starts um, expressing an interest in stuff and then all Ram can recommend is Hey Dougie and <laughs> Into the Night Garden. Yeah, yeah. Well, Into the Night Garden is brilliant. But I have, to, I have to, and where the wild things are is absolutely compulsory. Before, uh, and just one final thing on beekeeping, actually, and I'm not betraying anything that isn't already now public knowledge, but, you know, I remember when when, when James Hetfield um, got into beekeeping and uh, actually seriously into it and has some hives and actually m- makes really great honey. The blend of the, 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 spe- the specific bees he has and the place that he has his hives and, the, and, you know, what they actually pollinate and so on. His honey is it, it, it's great. But he's really into it. He was really into it, uh, and you know, it's, it was quite quite exciting to to talk with him about bee about bees. You know, it's great. <laughs> anyway, I, I, look, chaps, before we descend completely into the world of Radio Four, it's we're somewhat we've somewhat lost our compass and have ended up somewhere around Radio Four and the Archers, Steph, right? I mean, as you were regaling that, in my, all I could get into my head was the lyrics to "Creeping Death," and I was like, that just doesn't equate. <laughs> Oh no, he's. It, it, I've, I've got to tell you, he he is uh, quite a steward of, of of the land. He knows his. He knows his. I mean, he's he knows his way around the land. Uh, it has to be said. Um, it creeps across the land, killing it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Again, let's 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 uh, let's leave uh, this culture shock that everyone is just. But yeah, everyone's sitting there thinking, Christ, when are you going to tell us about Reto Ziegler? Not yet, because we still have to go to the week that was. So uh, hold yourselves. We were, it has to be said, a little taken by surprise. I mean, let's be honest. We were p- completely aghast at the news last week that Christian Romero had travelled to Argentina to join up with their squad despite being banned by FIFA for two games following their farcial abandoned game against Brazil last autumn. Regardless of having already qualified for the World Cup, Argentina were hoping to get Romero's ban reduced to one game, uh, making him available for their second qualifier away to Ecuador on Wednesday. Uh, by the way, do, do you know if that ever happened? Don't know. I haven't heard yet. No, exactly. But Ecuador are qualified as well, so it's a dead rubber now. I, I won't tempt fate in either way by commenting on that particular fact. But what I will say is if he does play, we are unlikely to see him back at Hotspur Way until Friday at the earliest. And if his ban isn't reduced... 
he's had a wasted journey. Although I suppose for him, he maybe he's caught up with mates and family. I don't know. But regardless, doesn't help us any, does it really? You know, it's something of a slap in the face, actually, from the Argentinian Football Association. And surely it's not going to do very much to foster harmonious relations between that association and the club. I move briskly on to say that for Player of the Month in the Premier League, Harry Kane and Dejan Kulisevsky are vying for the trophy. As a matter of fact, word has it that the Premiership are considering two trophies and two awards because both players have been so brilliant and deserving. And Antonio Conte is also up for Manager of the Month uh, for March. And, you know, we can't confirm or deny the rumours coming out right now that a double victory uh, here of best player and best manager would automatically hand us fourth spot in the Champions League place next season. We think it should. Uh, chaps, was that joke any good or was it just completely shit and a bit the floor? <laughs> I think for, we're the only club with two players up for man, uh, for player of the month. So I think we're probably going to split the vote and um, and um, Saka will sneak through the middle or something. So uh, I'd like you to note, everyone, that that was very, very skillfully manoeuvred. It was a shit joke, wasn't it, guys? Let's be honest. <laughs> Absolute rubbish. Um, somewhat Should we like talk about bees instead? New- we say, um- <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we should instead of the rubbish I'm waffling on about here with these rubbish jokes. And uh, yeah, well, hang on, one more bit of rubbish to run through. The new UEFA financial fair play, fair play rules have come through. Well, I mean, I hope they're not rubbish, but the New York Times has reported earlier this week on the purported placement of UEFA's financial fair play rules. They say that clubs will be restricted to spending 70% of their income with fines and European competition bans for clubs that breach it. Don't hold your breath unless you fancy an early bath. The plans are due to be ratified by UEFA's executive board on April 7th. And although this particular host won't be, as you've just heard, holding his breath. God, I'm now repeating shit jokes. Um, There is no doubt it would be a good step forward for the game. Milo, save us, if you will, from shit jokes and whatnot. And and, and just break down exactly, you know, how this could really be a good thing for the mighty Spurs. And we can end up smiling broadly if uh, UEFA end up applying this. Yeah, of course. So Kevin Maguire of uh, Price of Football podcast and um, academic at Liverpool Management uh, School uh, posted a really useful Twitter thread on this uh, and the impact on British clubs earlier this week. So kind of summarising what he's said, um, Spurs have the best wage-to-income balance in England. Uh, and if the UEFA calculation comprises of wages and amortisation, Spurs currently have this at 49% of income compared to Manchester United at 74%, Liverpool at 79%, Man City and Arsenal at 81% and Chelsea at 102%. In real terms, this means that we could afford to spend an additional £96 million annually and that would be on salaries and uh, you're gonna, you know, the, the transfer very spread, spread over the life of a contract, effectively. Whilst Manchester United would need to reduce their expenditure by 23 million, Arsenal by 44 million, Liverpool by 49 million, Man City by 58 million, and Chelsea by 143 million a year. Banter. <laughs> As an aside... Leicester and Everton are in the shit if they qualify for Europe under these rules. As you would expect, Frank Lampard has the foresight to ensure that Everton are never hit by this. <laughs> I think, in reality, what this really means is that it's going to lock in the clubs that are in the Champions League because, you know, to qualify for the Champions League, you're going to get, what, 50 million? Uh, if you go all the way to the final, you're probably looking at something like 150 million. So that's a huge, huge bump in terms of you know, what you're going to get and, you know, what you can spend on on, on wages and, and and transfer fees. The threat to this is of the challenger clubs. 
So you know, someone like Newcastle, who are unlikely probably to get into the Champions League before this comes in, it's going to be a big hit to them because they've got a re- you know massively reduced income. They won't be able to spend the same on players and wages and attract players. So it will, it will have a real kind of negative impact on them. Well, you know, so Leicester again, which are running at a loss currently, they're subsidised. They're basically a kind of mini Man City Leicester for you know for all the kind of. Um, kind of romanticized notion of you you get from them from the media actually they're not they're kind of massively bankrolled so i think from our point of view this makes it absolutely imperative that we get ourselves into the champions league and we're established before this comes in because you know currently within the uk you've affected sorry within england you've effectively got kind of six clubs competing for four places so not only are we in there we're, we're getting that money but we're depriving two of our direct rivals that money and that will have a huge impact on them yeah i just would like to also add uh, i'm really pleased to uh, see you highlight Leicester as being a bankrolled club this is one of my chief complaints with their title win actually was that it was considered a story of romance and it wasn't they flouted um, financial rules uh, to get promoted to even be in the premiership so uh, but it was always overlooked um, because as we know if the narrative of truth doesn't fit bend it right like Beckham I suppose (laughs) so Ram uh, any any thoughts on 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 this I have a couple of things to say on it one is despite all you know the 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 criticism and the faults uh, justified at times of our board I would suggest that the way that we're run irrespective of any rules that ever come in we would always be okay uh, which I think is a fantastic model Um, and secondly those in, in a list that includes Manchester City Chelsea's numbers and stats from what Milo's just written is completely and utterly ridiculous how can you have a list with Man City in it and Chelsea wage um, amortisation is 102% that that is ridiculous they're they're bankrolled by their by Abramovich to the tune of 100 million 100 million a year so Hmm. yeah with this sale coming through no one buying them is going to be bankrolling them to that extent so no you know they're not going to be able to continue as they are now they're not, yeah. you know, again, for all the talk about them them reducing their, um, you know, kind of their dependence on him, they're not. They're massively dependent on him. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It's an, a, a, a joke. So you can cut that, Milo. I mean, <laughs> let me just say. <laughs> no, because, I mean, there's nothing more to say because uh, I'm actually saving all of us from another, like, a furious rant. Uh, it was yeah, a honey yeah, trap. Because I... <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not going there. I'm not going to comb the surface for any further jokes. Oh dear! I, I can't, yeah, I, yeah. Anyway. But yes, um, as you can see, the mere thought of uh, UEFA attempting to implement something like this has a somewhat in shock, uh, especially with some of the names mentioned uh, in that list. Uh, I agree. Let's move away from all that filth, <laughs> financial <laughs> chicanery and whatnot, to the. Uh, the light and purity of genius that is Jermaine Defoe, who um, actually, uh, sadly, has announced his retirement. Um, I say sadly, um, you know, he must be ready because he played for 22 years, seven clubs, scored 304 goals. He's the ninth highest Premier League scorer of all time. And, uh, you know, it's not like he's 31. I mean, he's put some miles on his clock, so he knows it's time and and, and, and well done to him for that. Uh, actually, the word is that he... Uh, he decided to retire because he didn't feel that he was actually helping Sunderland in a way that was beneficial to them um, and so felt it would be better to take himself out of the selection mix altogether. So, again, another display of the humility of the men, uh, I think, there. He sits 
eighth on our all-time goal-scoring list, uh, fittingly a position he shares with Robbie Keane. And he's our third-highest Premier League goal-scorer, again tied with Robbie Keane. He's also our second-highest goal-scorer in European competition. Chaps, I think we would agree that we just, you know, we want to thank Mm. uh, Jermaine for everything he's done, wish him a long and happy retirement, except maybe not that long. Perhaps he could come back and do some coaching badges with us, right? That's already been mentioned. So the Mail's reporting today that we've offered him a, co- a coaching role whilst he gets his badges. So that would be, be good. The, the, only, the only other thing I wanted to mention on Defoe briefly was, I mean, obviously a fantastic player, great bloke. And as he's matured, my kind of admiration for him has grown. But I just want to mention briefly kind of his friendship that he had with uh, Bradley Lowry, the um, the, the terminally or uh, Sunderland supporter when he was at Sunderland for the first time. And, you know, Lowry died aged six in 2007. But Defoe, when he announced his retirement early this week, it f- it featured a photo of him in his announcement that he was retiring. A great player, a great man. And, yeah, I think... You know, probably all bar one club he's played at, he's absolutely loved by the supporters. And I even saw some, you know, quite a few West Ham fans saying really nice things about him on the announcement this week. So, yeah, I, I wish him a long and happy retirement, and um, and hope he finds a, you know, hope he, he finds a road with us. That'd be great. Yeah, hope he finds employment with us, and uh, and and brings some of the uh, uh, electric predatory skills that he showed, especially in the first half of his career. Um, you know. To our to our young forwards, I mean, I guess well, look, you always scored goals. But when I say that, I mean, you know, you you would agree with me that for the first six years of his career, in and around that 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 six yard box, he was absolute dynamite. And there yeah. was that period where um, I think it was Sven Goran Eriksson was the first manager to sort of try and change him into a more complete striker. Mm. Um, mm. And for a little while, there were teething issues, but um, but he certainly found his rhythm and found his way. And uh, all of a sudden, you were seeing Jermaine smash them in from you know, 20, 25 yards and. He scored that particularly brilliant goal against the Gooners in the uh, 5-4 defeat. I mean, I'm sure we could reel off many of them. So before we make this the Jermaine Defoe goal-scoring pod, I will move on to the root of our show. What happened next? Part two. When we did What Happened Next Part one back last summer, Ram chose to talk about Jermaine Defoe. So there is actually some nice (laughs) symmetry in us. Uh, returning to the subject on the week that he has announced his retirement. Uh, again, we cannot confirm rumours that Jermaine timed this retirement to coincide with this week's pod. But, oh, Christ, they're just I'm sorry, guys. It's just not happening with the, the glib, shitty, scripted humour. Let's just move on. <laughs> We're going to put a link to part one in the show notes to this episode if you'd like to go back and check it out. I apologise for my complete lack of humorous form uh, and clarity. Some would say that that is a life affliction. I would not. Let's get to the matter at hand. And I think that we should kick off, Ram, if you don't mind, with you and Kevin Prince Boateng. What a topic. Kevin Prince Boateng um, was signed by Tottenham from Hertha Berlin in July 2007 for a reported fee of £5.4 million. He was a 20-year-old central midfielder at the time, came with a reputation as a promising German youth international looking to level up into the senior team um, of an already very strong German squad. Prior to joining us, Boateng had been at Hertha Berlin since July uh, 1994 at the age of seven, making his first team debut as a second half substitute in a 2-0 win against Eintracht Frankfurt in August 2005 at the start of the Bundesliga season. He made 53 first team appearances in total, scoring five goals for them. When we signed him, we actually fought off a formidable Sevilla team managed by Juan de Ramos to secure Boateng services. And it's safe to say big things were expected of this young, raw talent. Can you hear my dog? Yeah. 
Okay. I think he featured a couple of weeks ago, actually. Oh, did he? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry. For, for anyone that can hear that rustling in the background, that's Angus, one of my dogs, just making his presence felt. Unfortunately, the fairy tale turned into something of a damp squib. An underwhelming two seasons at Spurs led to him being frozen out by three managers, Yol, Ramos and Redknapp. On his day, he provided FIFA street-level skill with ruthless aggression, but we saw little end product in the Lily White of Tottenham, where he made a total of 25 appearances in all competitions, scoring no goals. He has since reflected on his time with us and labelled himself an idiot who lived a lavish lifestyle. These are actual quotes from him. I'll go back and say I didn't treat football as a job. I was an idiot. I had talent, but I trained the bare minimum. An hour on the field... I was the last to arrive and the first to leave. I'd be out with friends. I had money. I lived like a king. I'd never been to the gym. That changes your later career. I bought three cars in one day when I was at Tottenham. A Lamborghini, a Hummer and a Cadillac. To the youngsters, I tell them now, you cannot buy happiness. I didn't play. I had family problems. I was out of the squad. I was looking for happiness in material things. A car makes you happy for a week. I bought three to be happy for three weeks. <laughs> I just love that quote. <laughs> Very good. In January 2009, we loaned Botang to Borussia Dortmund, managed by Jurgen Klopp at the time. He made 10 Bundesliga appearances for them, scoring no goals. His most notable contribution in that loan spell was receiving a two-match ban from the German Football Association for a reckless challenge and flying kick to the head of Makoto Hasebi of Wolfsburg during a game. Despite this, Dortmund were keen to sign him on a permanent deal. We couldn't make the deal happen due to a difference in valuation, surprisingly. <laughs> Doesn't sound like us. Instead, we sold him to Portsmouth on a three-year contract in August 2009 for a fee of around four million. He had one season at Portsmouth, which was a tad more eventful than his time with us, scoring three goals and 22 appearances and reaching an FA Cup final where he missed a penalty in a 1-0 loss to Chelsea. In the same game, he fouled Chelsea midfielder and German captain Michael Ballack, ruling him out of the upcoming World Cup. Botan claimed Balak had slapped him in the face prior to this, although he eventually apologised to him personally. In August 2010, he joined AC Milan via Genoa on loan in a convoluted co-ownership deal, and this is probably the most notable period of Botang's career. He switched positions from a more central role into an attacking midfielder role at the top of a diamond, and in his first season won the Serie A title, followed by a Supercoppa Italiana, whilst playing alongside the likes of Perlo, Zlatan, Ronaldinho and Seydorf. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. He, be <laughs> he became renowned for scoring spectacular goals, including a beautiful strike against Barca in the Champions League group stages. Kevin even returned to the lane with Milan, but could not help his star-studded team get past Crouchy's heroes and progress. <laughs> he scored a 14-minute hat-trick after coming on as a second-half substitute against Lecce in the league, when Milan were 3-0 down, eventually inspiring a 4-3 win. Botang's record is 100 first-team appearances, scoring 17 goals for Milan. He was eventually sold to Schalke, before being suspended and having his contract terminated for poor behaviour. Then with stints back at Milan, Las Palmas in La Liga, a year at Frankfurt, winning the DFB Pokal, which is like their FA Cup. Sassuolo back in La Liga, a three-game appearance loan at Barcelona. Fiorentina, Besiktas on loan, back to Monza in Serie A before coming full circle where he's currently turning out for his boyhood club, Hertha Berlin. Apart from that DFB Pokal um, Cup win, it's all been very kind of, I don't want to say ordinary, but nothing of so spectacular of note compared to his time at Milan um, since then. 
internationally, Boateng made the decision to turn out for Ghana rather than Germany in 2010, despite turning out, turning out for the German youth team, making appearances for them in the 2000 World Cup and playing against his brother, Jerome. After retiring from international football at the age of 24 in 2011, citing fatigue from travelling, he once again made himself available for selection in the 2014 World Cup for Ghana. However, he was sent home with Sully Montari, remember him, mm. for criticising the organisation uh, for the Black Stars and verbally abusing the manager, Apaya, during a team meeting. His career total stats are 456 appearances, scoring 70 goals. Whilst in Milan, Botang and other black players were racially abused by a section of fans during a pre-season friendly against Pro Patria, where he reacted by kicking a ball in the stands and walking off the pitch. The match was subsequently abandoned and Botang was lauded by various players and commentators for his actions. He has been a vociferous supporter of ending racism in football and in Feb 2003 was appointed as the first global ambassador for the FIFA Anti-Discrimination Task Force, which led to a role with the UN as an ambassador for anti-racism. Kevin was also very quick to condemn his brother Jerome's despicable abusive behaviour toward his ex-girlfriend, saying, and these are quotes, I've already distanced myself from Jerome for a long time. I appreciate and respect German law. I despise violence against women. I don't identify with the actions of my brother and therefore I have nothing to do with him anymore. A young, troubled man who grew into himself on the world stage. An honest, fiercely combative individual on and off the pitch with a mercurial talent that may not have hit the heights many expected but definitely deserving of cult hero status, perhaps in generality rather than at Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah, brilliant. Really well summed up. I actually saw his debut up at Middlesbrough, uh, which wasn't the most spectacular of debuts, I will say. But uh, I, I, I really liked him as a player even mm. back then, even in his more defensive role. And I, mm. I always feel it was actually a failure of uh, successive managers not to put an arm around the shoulder. You can't help but wonder what a manager like Pochettino might have done with him um, because the talent I don't know with that training sure. with that training record probably not much but um <laughs> well he might have actually woken him up to get him yeah. training is what I'm saying I mean you never know but yes I, mean, I agree with you he's a fantastically talented player I mean, you know that was evident when he was with us yeah it's, it's a waste you know the quotes you you mentioned there from um you know on his brother I remember those from from last summer mm. and I was really impressed with him being so outspoken about it at the time and uh, being very, very clear on that. If you look at his roll call of, you know, teams like Tottenham, yeah. Schalke, AC Milan, Fiorentina, Barcelona, albeit for three games, but, you know, he's he's played at some top, top clubs. He really underscores that uh, football is about so much more than the talent. But if you've got that talent, you become... Uh, a fatal attraction to mm. a select few who will continually try to see if they can, um, if you'll pardon the, the B theme that we're going to continue here, if they can really tap the nectar mm. uh, that, that you produce. And, and it's really interesting. Cause it's a hive the, mentality, the, like, isn't it, Steph? <laughs> <laughs> it certainly is. Yeah, yeah. Players like right. him create a buzz. <laughs> We're bumbling into these, aren't we? It's what's really going on. But uh... I think if the game comes easily to you, though, I think there's, you know, we see that we see this with very talented players sometimes. And, and KP, uh, KPB is undoubtedly very, very talented, a very, very talented, naturally gifted player. You know, maybe there isn't the same impetus or the same incentive to to train because you don't have to because you know you can you know you can you can fall around in, in training and still be better than everyone. But mm. The problem is, is that when, yeah, the, during a match, that doesn't really help you. 
you know, beyond a certain level. Yeah, I mean, he falls into the category of, of many, uh, well, many, several very talented players that have come through our ranks that you looked at and thought, wow, the, the world is, is, is their oyster. I mean, you know, Tarapt pops mm. up as an example again, Marcus although Edwards, as you... John Bostock. John Bostock, but as you quite, uh, as you pointed out in the last Where Are They Now, Milo, you know, um, Tarapt came good. But anyway... Mm. Thank you very much, Rem. It was a, a, a really good opening, opening uh, what happened next. And crikey, a lot did happen for Kevin Prince-Boateng. And it is actually a nice symmetrical um, conclusion to, to his mm. particular story that he is back at Hertha Berlin. So hopefully he uh, continues to enjoy his uh, very, very colourful career. Milo, it's your turn to tell us about, well, I mean, we were all told he was going to be the man, Reto Ziegler. And as a matter of fact, when What Happened Next came up, part two, as a topic, and, you know, names are being floated to be discussed, and, and you raised his name, I realised I'd forgotten what happened to him. <laughs> so this is genuinely a path of education for me. Um, so I, I look forward to hearing about Reto Ziegler. So Reto Ziegler joined us in 2004, aged 18, under the glorious director of football reign of Funtime Frankie Arneson. Initially... <laughs> Playing under Jack Tantini <laughs> before Martinez's appointment in November. Rito made 30 appearances for us that season in all competitions, playing both left midfield and left back, often switching positions with Timothy Atuba. Hang on, did you say 30? Yeah. Did he really? In his first his first season, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow, I'm, now I'm casting my mind back. So, of course, all I can think of is Atuba, who was a, a cult favourite of mine. Wow. Anyway, sorry, I've interrupted you. Carry so he was playing, on. playing left midfield, but quite often, yeah. you know, wow. Atuba would overlap. He'd drop back. He did start some games at left back for us. I, I'll go on to some of the positions he's played yeah. as, 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 okay. as, as his career develops. Where he's played is just really interesting. So I'll come back to that later on. The following summer, we loaned him to Hamburg with um, Lee Young Po coming in to replace him. He, fe- he featured in 11 uh, league matches and three FA Cup, um, sorry, UEFA Cup matches, but was criticised by man- uh, manager Thomas Dole for poor attitude and rarely played more than a few minutes per match. He was recalled from the loan by, uh, by us in January uh, and then sent out on loan to, uh, to Wigan where he made five starts and five substitutes appearances in the Premier League, one start in the FA Cup, and was a substitute in the League Cup final against Manchester United, which they lost 4-0. Rito uh, made four appearances for us in 2006-07, a season in all competitions before being loaned to Sampdoria in January. Head of scouting at Sampdoria at this time was one young Fabio Paratici. Wow, what a small world. In May, we signed a promising young left-back called Gareth Bale, so Ziegler made the switch to Sampdoria permanent for 1.8 million. The following season, he was in and out of the side, and most of his appearances came from the bench. Ziegler became a Sampdoria first choice left back in 2009-10. During the winter transfer window, he was linked with a move to Juventus. He decided to stay at Sampdoria as he was established himself in the first team and wanted to play. In, wanted to make the Swiss World Cup squad in 2010. Ziegler joined Juventus on a free transfer on 26th of May 2011, four days after the appointment of Antonio Conte as manager. Who was bringing him in? None other than our friend Fabio Paratici, who had joined Juve from Sampdoria the season before. Freebies and raiding X clubs doesn't sound, sound like the fantastic fab to me. <laughs> Rito never kicked a ball in competitive football for Juve. He spent the 2011-12 season on loan at Fenerbahce, 
making 42 appearances in all competitions. He joined Lokomotiv Moscow on loan in September 2012, making seven appearances before being re- recalled and loaned out to Fenerbahce again in January, playing 17 times in the second half of the season. Rito went on loan to Susudio in 2003-14 season, making 17 Serie A appearances. His contract with Juve came to an end in the summer of 2014, and he was without a club before, ne- before joining Swiss club FC Sion in February 2015. Rito played 20 games in the remainder of that season and 41 games the following season. At this point, I should stop and talk about the positions that Rito has played. Up until this point, he's predominantly played as a left midfielder or left back, with the occasional game at right midfield or right back and and defensive midfield. In 15-16, he's mainly playing as a centre-back, which has remained his main position for the rest of his career. He joined FC Luzerne on a free transfer in the summer of 2017, making 10 appearances in the first half of the season before joining FC Dallas in January. Ziegler made 87 appearances for Dallas over the next three years. In January 2021, he joined uh, FC Lugano. In the last year and a bit, he's played 46 games for Lugano, predominantly as a centre-back with the odd game at left-back or right-back. He's 36 right now. His first team career spans 19 years. He's played 581 first team games for 12 clubs in seven countries. He's got 35 Swiss caps in an international career spanning nine years. He was in the squads for the 2010-2014 World Cup, starting three games in 2010. Not bad for a player that many would consider a footnote in our history. A quick question for you. Is it fair to say that his time at Susudio was the genesis of his career as a utility man? Um. I mean, he, he he moved around. I'd say, I mean, even with us, you know, he was kind of switching. <laughs> oh, is this Phil Collins joke? Is it? <laughs> oh, oh, brilliant! Oh my word! Oh, very good. Oh, sorry, I had to do it. I had to do it. <laughs> to do it it is it is extraordinary though actually uh just hearing you reading out those statistics for for Ziegler and and just sitting back and thinking about the the mental fortitude it takes to maintain your professional career across all those different clubs with all mm. those different cultures and i'm not just talking about national cultures i'm talking about club cultures yeah. um all those different positions i mean this is actually something to sit back and applaud and we don't really give it enough respect i think he's played pretty much every position apart from center forward and goalkeeper over his career um, yeah and, and i mean that that you know his knowledge yeah. of the game has to be excellent yeah. You you yeah. don't you don't have a professional career doing that without it. So I mean, whether he made it with us or not, that is that you know that's that is impressive. a career. Like if you're if you're not at elite level and you're not playing in you know star-studded teams and stuff like that, that is the football career you want. Just consistently playing all the time, whilst being able to travel and, and as you said, uh, uh, with different cultures, different club mentalities, different positions. The fact that he's predominantly played in centre at centre back in the latter stage of his career, the Rito Ziegler at Tottenham, no, right. I would never in a million years consider him to be a centre back. No, absolutely. Right. So the way he's evolved into that is fantastic. And it's absolutely incredible. I mean, and, and again, this is what I'm about to say is obviously no slight on Mo Salah. He's just the first example that leapt to mind because Mo Salah is one of the top strikers in the world. But Mo Salah is a striker. Now, mm. Mo Salah plays up front and Mo Salah plays with a system that is designed to bring the very best out of Mo Salah. Now, if that, you know, sliding doors moment for him at Chelsea had not turned out, 
do we think that Mo Salah would have been able to uh, propagate the same career that Reto Ziegler has had? Do we think if someone at FC Lucerne had said, Oi, geezer, <laughs> got, to do right, got to do right back for the next 16 games, do we think he would have done it? I mean, again, it's not it's not a slight on Mo Salah's talent. It's just actually to highlight that a player like you've been talking about here, Reto Ziegler, must have some talent to be able to do all that. I, I think... He's a journeyman in the best sense of the word. I don't mean that, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. in a pejorative sense. I think you know, he. I mean, it's clear with us that he was a talented and technically skillful footballer. You know, maybe not quite at the level we wanted, but you know, he, he's played in Serie A for a prolonged period of time, and that's a tough league. You know, it's one of the t- top leagues mm. in Europe, and the latter half of his career has been in you know MLS and and the Swiss league, which okay is not quite at the same level, but you know, he's. It, you know, he, he's played for some some really good clubs. Do you know, just before the pod started, we were chatting about players becoming managers and having a generalised chat about that. But th- this guy screams management to me. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting as well when, when, when you think about, um, you know, with a couple of the players we will be, well, one we've talked about, one we're about to talk about, where possibly not always in the positive, well, definitely not always in the positive. It has to be said. They're quite sad stories in many ways, but there were personalities behind these two players. Mm. And it's, it's actually quite, it's quite interesting, uh, Milo, that you were actually saying that, you know, there isn't much about him as a personality. It's definitely a career. Yeah. And maybe that mm. is what has allowed him to be able to do it. Maybe if you have that steady Eddie, like, you know, only one teaspoon of sugar in your tea, no more, you know, you, you know what I mean? Just like You're saying a, he's the Swiss Ben Davis, are you? I, you know what? It's probably a good shout. I mean, it's interesting. Yeah, he's <laughs> very, but maybe that level-headed calmness is what's enabled mm. him to be able to, when the moment comes, hey, fancy a slot around. Yep, I'll take that on. Yep. I can do that. So it's, I mean, almost egoless, maybe. Mm. I don't know. Next, you know, mm. I don't, who knows? But again, we don't really know much about him as a person because, as you said, Milo, he's not exactly made the, the headlines as a personality. But no. what a career. That's fascinating. Yeah, fascinating indeed. So Stephen Colker was uh, my choice. And uh, what, an, you know, what a fascinating player uh, he is and was. Um, let's uh, start with a couple of things about him. He's six foot three. Uh, had abundant strength and athleticism. He was born in Feltham, and it you know it should be said that Stephen Corker seemed to shoe in to be one of our main centre backs for many years. Um, he was a right-footed uh, centre back. He could you know he could play on the left, and he signed as a, a youth uh, for us in the two thousand seven two thousand eight season. Received his first pro contract in two thousand nine. He then did a loan spell at Yeovil Town with with Ryan Mason as as his teammate. Um, He made his Spurs debut in 2010 against Arsenal in in the League Cup. It was that 4-1 defeat after extra time. And then he joined Bristol City on loan where Danny Rose was also playing uh, himself on loan. (laughs) Uh, 2011 saw more development loans at Swansea City, Norwich and Bristol City again. And then he signed a four-year contract with us once more in 2012. And uh, Andre Villas-Boas' arrival um, was really a catalyst for him to to have somewhat of... uh, a career with us, uh, or it seemed it would be. He made 28 appearances in all competitions um, that year. But the sad thing with Stephen Corker, and we'll get into this a little more, there were some personality issues, um, uh, some demons, if you will, that were starting to surface. Um, alcohol was a, was a catalytic uh, 
issue for him. Uh, there were rumours that he made some inappropriate comments uh, regarding Joe Lewis and, and his family or something. Uh, I'm not really too sure. And so he suddenly found his career at Spurs uh, abruptly ended um, and he was sold to Cardiff City in, in 2013, which I have to say I personally thought was, was a great shame because as a footballer, he really did seem to have the full package. He seemed to have everything. He was fierce, commanding, strong. Um, he had it all. So, uh, but this is the beginning of seeing his personal issues interfere with his career, um, uh, because these issues did grow chronically worse. Um, uh, strangely, his performances never really seemed to suffer dramatically. But there's only so much personal stuff you can go through off the field before your career will be impacted. Obviously, um, his uh, issues spiral from a route of depression uh, through alcoholism into a gambling addiction, um, and his career was took him from Cardiff to QPR alone to Southampton, alone to Liverpool in 2017, and finally an 18-month deal with Dundee United. In 2019, he joined Turkish side Alanispor, where he was involved in a minibus accident that saw his friend and teammate Joseph Sorel killed. They were passengers on, uh, by the way, um, travelling to enjoy, I believe, a break uh, at that point. And it was a, just, just a, a tragedy. Again, poor old Stephen Corker, you know, he's fighting demons, and then this happens to him as well. Really shook, shook him up. In the summer of 2021, he joined Fenerbahce uh, and did not play a game uh, before being loaned to Gaziantep, uh, where he has made 24 appearances and scored two goals. So somewhere in the midst of all that, I do want to again say that he you know, he's very public about his battles with alcoholism and his gambling addictions and his depression in the past. Depression uh, particularly being a cornerstone of his issues for a long time. Uh, he made a personal admission at one stage um, that he really... You know, he really considered suicide, uh, which is just so sad. I mean, it's a terrible thing. Um, and you know, I think he was probably one of the first footballers to bring this issue to the fore. He came out and started talking about it, uh, uh, which is incredibly brave. And 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 what a service he has done for for many of his colleagues since. I mean, it has to be said. You know, he did an interview in the Guardian, twenty seventeen, where he talked about um, you know the fact his career kind of been brought to its knees by by his mental health and it's awful to to see that um and then in 2019 he told the athletic and excuse me a couple of these quotes might be quite long but i think that they are worth it he said in terms of public perception i've had people stop me in the street who are going through similar things and they've said what i did helped them that alone makes it all worthwhile in terms of football the positive is it's encouraged others to speak. Back then, no one wanted to address this, but so many footballers have come out and spoken about those issues in the years since. Maybe I helped them do that. On the negative side, and I think this is particularly pertinent, it definitely put a black mark against my name. I've had to prove to everybody that I'm okay everywhere I've been since. People have looked at me like I'm a sick man. I need to prove I'm okay. There were times when I did feel alone i'd say quite alone it's not that people were going out of their way to isolate me i don't think it was deliberate perhaps they didn't really understand maybe it boiled down to a lack of education on the issues you know he goes on in this particular story to talk about the amends that he felt he had to make for this situation bringing uh you know toxicity to the fore um it's it's clear through everything you read about stephen colker that mm. he is an incredibly responsible um and 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 you know self-repairing uh, man, if that's even a word. Well, if it isn't, it is now. Um, and he's done, you know, done tremendous work. Look, figures from Peter Crouch to Danny Rose, Gareth Southgate to Marvin Sordell, they've all spoken out about the intolerable strains placed on footballers since Stephen Corker opened up. 
and I think I think it's an amazing thing. Yeah, I think it's incredibly brave. Did you see? Sorry, this is a bit taken off on a tangent. And did you see Gareth Bale's statement today following yesterday no. game? So Marker ran a pretty derogatory oh, piece about him. So Gareth Bale earlier on today tweeted. I'll read the statement out. So the Daily Mail is shining a light on this piece of slanderous, derogatory, and speculative journalism by Marker. At a time where people are taking their own lives because of the callousness and relentlessness of the media, I want to know who is holding these journalists and news outlets that allow them to write the articles like this accountable. Fortunately, I've developed a thick skin during my time in the public spotlight, but that doesn't mean articles like these don't cause damage and upset personally and professionally to those that are receiving end of these malicious stories. I have witnessed the toll of me- the media can take on people's mental and physical health. The media expects superhero- superhuman performances from professional athletes and will be the first to celebrate when they deliver. Yet instead of commiserating with them when they show an ounce of human error, they are torn to shreds instead, encouraging anger and disappointment in their fans. The everyday pressures on athletes is immense. It is clear as day how negative media attention could easily send an already stressed athlete or anybody in the public eye over the edge. I hope that by the time our children are an age where they are able to ingest news, that journalism ethics and standards have been enforced more stringently. So I want to use my platform to encourage change in a way that we publicly talk about and criticise people simply for the most part, not meeting and often unrealistic expectations that are projected upon them. We all know the, who the real parasite is. Mark called him a parasite for um, uh, for yeah. being on Real Madrid's books, um, taking a wage but not playing for them. Yeah, and they put together a, a, a really, mm. really twee little cartoon with Gareth Bale as a parasite. I remember seeing that. No, I think it's completely pertinent, and I think it uh, it plays into um, everything that uh, Stephen Corker, you know, helped open the gate for players to be more open about. And 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 uh, you know, look brilliant on gareth bale's part and i completely agree a hundred uh, 150 percent. i mean it's ridiculous um and 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 disgraceful and and you know the more players like him speak up the more that this will be fought properly i was gonna say it was, it was stephen Coker. yeah he hasn't got the platform that gareth bale's got not as no. many people are going to hear his words but actually it was probably a lot it's a lot braver for for Corker to talk out because people weren't talking uh, speaking out at the time. No, they weren't. You were spoken about Aaron Lennon and his struggles with mental health before, and I think Ram, you've particularly uh, you know spoken about that. It's the people, the first people to talk about this that's the most brave. And you know, yes. as you said, as, as you said in your piece, you know, Steph about you know Stephen Corker was worried about people's perceptions of him as a, as a result of being well, open and honest about these things. But you can't get better if you're not open and honest. No, but it's mm. not even a concern. It was a tangible, tangible mm. issue because you know there have been times over the intervening period when you know he did see promises of offers being pursued by silent rejection, and 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 I mean by his own admission, he pondered the sense in going public so there's a triple bravery to that but uh but it you know the athletic does also say and this is uh from that 2017 um piece that they did i mean i presume he's still following it uh, his 12-step recovery program diligently and uh, that you know it's helped give him proper perspective and that he is stronger for it all and you know yeah i you know as, uh, look Again, we can't address his bravery enough in that. But uh, there is another side to Stephen Colker's story, which is just absolutely fascinating. Mm. And it's his international career. Mm. He played for England at under-19 and under-21 levels. He had a full catch to his name for a friendly against Sweden in 2012, where if 
um, you know, the pedants of the world uh, remember he was substituted when England were winning 2-1. He actually had Slatan somewhat in his pocket, as much as a young debutant could. He was handling Slatan well. And England actually ended up losing that game 4-2 after he got substituted. Um, not only that, he was selected by Stuart Pearce to play for Team GB at the 2012 Summer Olympics. Um, Scotland came sniffing around for him. They tried to recruit him. However, in 2021, uh, he decided via a grandparent to declare for Sierra Leone. Uh, and once FIFA granted mm. clearance for him to switch nations from England to Sierra Leone, who are coached by a Mancunian called John Keister, for what that's worth, Corker uh, became a Sierra Leone international and he appeared in the African Cup of Nations just this uh, just this last uh, year. Mm. And he made three appearances against Algeria, Ivory Coast and Equatorial Guinea, uh, which is, you know, it's really something. Um, let's run through a couple of stats here uh, for Spurs. For our mighty Spurs, he made 29 appearances and two goals. Cardiff, 39 appearances in 13-14 with five goals. QPR, 54 appearances and three goals over three seasons. He made four appearances for Liverpool. It's another Jurgen Klopp uh, Venn diagram moment in this episode. <laughs> because, of course, Kevin Prince-Boateng, uh, you mentioned, uh, was under Klopp at Dortmund. So um, it's it's interesting the way things are interceding mm. in this episode. Paratici, <laughs> Klopp, as a, um, and Alan Alan Yaspor, I'm sure I've butchered it. Alan Yaspor, please, anyone who wishes to criticise my pronunciation. It's Alan Yaspor. Alan Yaspor, thank you. Yeah. I, it is, you're right. Uh, um, 85 appearances, six goals. Look, there are a few other clubs in there that I'm not mentioning, but what you should know is that for all the clubs that Stephen Corker has played for, including those not mentioned, he's made 362 appearances with 22 goals. And again, I think that his career... Um, speaks to the enormous strength, fortitude and character of the man to not just be able to display that talent in so many different places, but to be able to navigate so many different situations on and off the pitch. What 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 an, what an amazing thing. Um, and again, I'm going to end where I started. I, I still am always somewhat troubled uh, by the fact that I think we had a really great centre-half there potentially, mm. and I would have loved to... I, I wish that we could have circumnavigated the bump that he had off the pitch verbally and whatever that was, you know, with Joe Lewis and so on and so forth. I wish we could have got through that and seen what he would have done for us. But that's Stephen Corker's career. Well done, Stephen. We applaud you. I just wanted to add to that, Steph, quickly. I mean, Stephen Corker's career, if you look at it on paper, was, is perhaps unremarkable in terms of achievements and honours and things like that. And I agree with you. You know, there was chat at the time when he left about whether we could have done more as a club to help him. But I think with the demons that he was struggling with, the only person that could have helped him was himself. And people, when they're in that situation, um, and I, you know, I, I, I speak from this from, from very personal experience, people like that tend to have to hit some sort of rock bottom before they're, they're willing to look for the help that they need. And, um, and I think perhaps his career on the pitch may have been unremarkable but what he's done off of it is possibly is incredibly remarkable because as you said you know you mentioned he's uh, people coming to him on, on the street saying that because of his words because of him coming out it actually helped them um so and, and he's been a trailblazer uh, in that respect so I think what he's done off the pitch is actually mm. way more important than anything he has done or a lot of players have done on it you know and and the fact that he's able to confront his demons as you said, shows that shows the incredible intestinal fortitude of of the man himself, and and the reason he's been able to stand up and go against the press. And you know, Milo, when you mentioned what Gareth Bale said, that 
Corker is able to do that because of following that 12-step program um, that he does follow. And he's he's dealt with all that shit that was holding him back and, you know, and and he's worked on those demons and that's made him the man who he is now. And I, I have the utmost respect for people like that, you know, who have seen the darkness and mm. are now in the light. And he's managed to have a playing career despite battling depression, addiction of, of various forms, and he's still managed to have a full playing career. So props to the man. You You've hit something that I think is so important to understand and on a wider scale it embraces um you know embraces Tottenham Hotspur in, in a sense and that is this definition of achievement what is achievement mm. what is success mm. what is making it what is being that you know doing amazing things in your career I look at Stephen Colker and I say fuck me that is an incredible career what a champion a true mm. world champion yeah mm. I don't, he hasn't got the medals. Who gives a fuck? He's done. He's done yeah. what he's done, despite what he's had to deal with, yeah. and that yeah. is sensational. Sensational. Yeah. Those are the journeys I find more interesting. So, th- you know, this time we've talked about kind of three players who are probably slightly less celebrated for us: ex players, Spurs players who are less celebrated for us. You know, last time round we talked about Defoe and Modric, Benslab and um, and, and Trapped. But I think you know Modric's career we all know about is fantastic. You know, he's achieved everything. He's one of the best players in his position in the world during the period he's been playing. But actually, Stephen Kulker or you know, Rita Ziegler or you know, Kevin Prince-Boteng's career is probably more interesting as a story because mm. it's taken, mm. you know, there's, there's been a you know, kind of wasted talent and problems and what have you. But overcoming that and, and finding a way through it and, and building a career is more interesting than just being great all the way through. Uh, and, yeah. and and again, okay. we're back to this whole definition of what success is. And this, you know, I don't want to derail us too much, but, you know, I've given up trying to explain to people why the Pochettino era was so successful, which, despite not having a fucking trophy or a medal, <laughs> because it's obvious that these morons don't get it. And maybe they won't understand it when I say to me, Stephen Colker is a World Cup winner, you know? I mean, yeah. they, they probably don't get it. But if someone out there can make do the human math, try and see it because if you can, you're going to fucking enjoy a hell of a lot more about football than you currently do if you can't see it. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Right. Well, wow. That that was that was quite some some segment and 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 again, three as you said, Milo, really really uh, really interesting careers and, and 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 really really good ones as well. So, proper football returns next weekend as we host the freshly minted newest members of football's dirty money bastard squad, Newcastle at White Hart Lane. Their owner's horrific human rights record has been overlooked slightly since Putin decided to become a 20th century dictator tribute act and roll tanks into a neighbouring country. However, we should never pass up an opportunity to remind people that on March 12th, 2022, 81 people were executed in one day in Saudi Arabia. Furthermore, the British businesswoman who played a large part in the Saudi Public Investment Fund's acquisition of Newcastle, Amanda Staveley, was quoted at the Financial Times Business of Football Summit in London as saying that it is sad someone is going to have a football club taken away because of a link they may have with someone. She's referring to Chelsea, if you don't know. I don't think that's particularly fair, to be honest, but we do have to hold all of our relationships to account. We'll always have geopolitical issues. This world is never not going to have problems. Bless Amanda. 
a minor stakeholder we're reliably informed, and someone who can clearly find mitigation for anything. It goes without saying that we hope that our supporters follow the excellent lead of many other Premier League clubs this season and protest in solidarity um, at those victims that continue to suffer in those countries and at the outrageous lack of human rights that we see perpetrated in Saudi every day. Mm. That aside, lads, it is, uh, uh, you know, uh, I mean, look, it is a massive issue, so it shouldn't be a side issue, but we are talking about football now. We should talk about football. Being said. There is an important game to be won as we let's continue our league form. A question for each of you. Milo, I'm going to ask you, Conte could have his first selection headache for a while if uh, Oliver Skip is uh, is fit. Um, should he play? And if so, in whose place? You shouldn't have put this question to me. The answer is no, he shouldn't play. Uh, Hoybier and Ben uh, are playing very well together. We shouldn't disrupt that. Uh, Skippy should go on the bench with uh, White you know, going off to play for the under-23s. And it you know, strengthens the bench. It gives us an option to see out the game. Hopefully we'll be in that position. The, the current side is playing very well together. Hoybier and Ben Kerr are building a good partnership there. I think that Conte will favour experience over uh, over youth at this stage of the season. Um, Skip will get plenty of chances in, in, in the future, and I'm sure that he'll get plenty of minutes in the rest of the season. But I wouldn't be changing that, that midfield partnership right now. And I, I'd also say that I think Hoybier is being criminally underrated by our, our fans. I was just about to come in on this. Carry on. Yeah. I think... He's our best player off the ball, but actually, you know, I think the understanding between the two of them is good, is is really good. It's building, and they're playing very well. Don't just don't don't change the winning team. Well, it's interesting you say he's he's not being respected quite as much. I would certainly be one of the people who's probably not given him as much respect as he deserves, especially given the fact that he's played what is it, sixty one of sixty three possible Premiership games mm-hmm. since he signed for us, and he's a, I think he's an ever present bar one this season. I mean, when he was out, he he was out with um, with COVID. So yeah. I think the only game he's ever yeah. missed for us since he signed, first team game he's ever missed for us since signing is, is with COVID. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and I mean, uh, to your point, I actually have been watching a few more highlights of him, especially in, in recent weeks, watching his partnership with Bentoncourt develop. And it is really interesting to note, I think two of Harry's sitters in the last two games have come from exquisite passes by him. I was surprised. There was one that he put through against West Ham uh, that where Harry, you know, you expected Harry to, you know, sweep yeah. it in with his left, try to stab it with his right. I had to look twice to see that that was another uh, cheeky dinker, if you will, from from Hoybier. And he is a fan of the cheeky dinker and he does it very well. So to your point, Milo, I, 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 I agree. I agree on, on both counts. Yeah, I've been a massive sort of proponent of Skip uh, being part of the first eleven when he comes back, but I couldn't agree more with what Milo said. I think, you know, that's a, that's a partnership that's uh, working very well at the moment and, and the team as a whole are working as a very cohesive unit. Why why bring in a player who hasn't played a lot, who's coming back from an injury? Why bring, bring that? It's not fair on Skip and it's not fair on um, the player that would be coming out yeah. um, when, when the team's playing so well at the moment. I mean, if he's coming out, he's coming out for one of Sun, Kulisewski, Hoybier or Bentenker. Well, you're not going to drop any of those four, are you, really? No, mm. no. very good. Ram, this one's for you. <laughs> Given that Romero has travelled halfway across the world since we last played and he is two yellow cards away from a two-game ban, albeit I think he's got to survive two more games and the whole thing gets won. Three more. Three more, thanks. Do you risk him? Yeah, because I'm, just because I'm not that he him that right side again is playing so well. The option is to bring Sanchez in, I guess, 
um, into that right who's, side. Who's which, also travelled halfway across the world. Who's also travelled halfway. So if you had a choice between Romero, who's travelled halfway across the road, and, and Sanchez, who's travelled halfway across the road, it's a no-brainer. Unless we pl- do, are very strategic and we decide that it, he gets a yellow card against Newcastle, a yellow card against Villa away, misses Brighton home and Brentford away, and then is back for Leicester home, Liverpool away then, yeah, we could play it strategically, I guess. But, you know, I, I just wouldn't want to play that game either way. I, I say that in jest. But, yeah, I, I if he if he's fit and he wants to play, he plays. I agree with you. And I think that, as we discussed last week on the pod, he may finally have learned how to play the game on the line. It really seemed quite impressive to me, the way he walked the line against Antonio. And maybe there'll be more of that to come. I think he's always known that. I think... Um... You know, we were talking before we came on air about the Everton game and the foul on uh, Richarlison. I think he knew he was getting a yellow card for that and thought it was worth it because he hates the guy. And um, I don't know whether he's got any beef. He just wanted the Instagram picture, didn't he? <laughs> he did. That's right. That was that. He did. He framed that really well, didn't he? I mean, he shouldn't laugh, but it was funny. <laughs> you can't blame him for wanting to snap the guy. So... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Listen to us. We're 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 hypocritical apologists for thuggery. Sorry, you were saying. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm all in. We're all in. He's playing against Newcastle. Well, here it is. The final question of our Newcastle preview. Are we confident that our push for fourth will continue next weekend? Snap judgment, Milo. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think Newcastle are very good. I think that yeah, they've had a slight uplift, but I think we can. I think we can see them away. Ram. Ditto what Milo said. I won't speak about myself in the third person. I will just go, yes, I will as well. And, and actually, given that I'll be at the game and a few of us will be hooking up, of course, and I'm going to, I want to let everybody know that I'm going to hunt down a, 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 a Spaniel. That's illegal in this country. What you can get away with California, <laughs> California, I don't know, but. I don't know. Just a pet. Just to pet, no, no, in, in, in the warmest sense, I'll be hunting down a bomb-sniffing spaniel Ra- to pet. Ram as a vegan isn't going to have anything to do with you if you start hunting, no, no, hunting no, spaniels. No, I would never. Oh, I would never. Do you know, do you know, I know, I know you're joking, but I actually genuinely, there's a small side of me that feels I have to justify to whoever's listening that I would never, ever do anything like that. And I just want to, I just want to pet them because I love them and I'm going to drink whiskey. I'm going to hunt down whiskey and uh, I love that as well. Get tanked up on Irish whiskey and start hunting dogs across North London. It's despicable. <laughs> the wonderful webs we weave yes so uh look it's guaranteed i'm even going to make sure i've got my lucky underwear and i am contemplating taking the tracksuit top that i wore last weekend yes i know you're excited by all this superstition aren't you all this all this stevie ray vaughan this yeah anyway well uh that has been uh that's great what uh, one enjoyable chat and uh, our listeners uh didn't realize they get they got three pods in one this week i think beekeeping <laughs> beekeeping for beginners yeah, the great, culture great, show great. <laughs> yeah, 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 and 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 the what happened next part two, which I, I I've got to say I, I you know not that we should toot our own horn, but fuck it, if we don't, nobody else will. I, I I defy anyone to say that they knew that much about any of those players and have thought about their careers in the way that we hopefully have now presented said careers to you to think about. Um, so thank you very much, guys. Cheers, cheers, Steph. <laughs> You can find us on Twitter and Instagram, so give us a follow and say hello. And if you've enjoyed this um, triple pod in one, <laughs> please tell your pals and leave a, go- a and leave a glowing or even growing review uh, on iTunes and Spotify. And you can probably, you know, put that in several categories this week uh, as these things go. So, as always, thanks for joining us. 
and we'll see you next week. Bzzz.